0: Hey, everybody. My name is Alex, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. So, thank you to everybody who listened to my last episode on Gangsta. I I like that show exists, even if it's not a great show, but it, it's not a great show. It's got a lot of great ideas and a lot of, like, ideas that are great in practice, but not great once you put them together and it's made even worse by the fact that it's not a great manga, even. It is one of the more confusing manga I've ever read. But, that was last episode. If you're interested in hearing my thoughts about Gangster, go and listen to the last episode in this feed. I've also covered all kinds of other shows. But, we're here to talk about something totally different today. Um, and the first thing I want to talk about is my new, beautiful microphone. Uh, you may notice that I don't sound super blown out, or I don't sound like I'm recording it off of a shitty MacBook built-in speaker or microphone. That's because I went down a deep, dark rabbit hole and spent not a lot of money, but a lot of time like trying to get a mic situation together and I had a couple and they didn't work because microphones on a MacBook on an old MacBook are the bane of existence unless you're just like hey give somebody 60 bucks for a real nice mic and that's what I ended up doing so I have a beautiful like professional grade awesome microphone sitting in front of me right now and it makes me happy to be able to record on this and have, like, a real recording set up instead of the what I called $6 Get It Done Special that I picked up from Cheap Jacks in New York City, which was, like... It was this little... It was this long pair of headphones, but it was, like, a Y splitter at the bottom, and it split out to one other long cord that was a microphone. And... That was how I made my podcast sound mostly better, um, to start with, but I wanted to like upgrade the sound, make make my podcast sound more professional because, you know, I like doing this for whoever out is out there listening every week and I wanna put my best foot forward. That's why I try and like edit in openings and do cool editing at the end with endings and all that other fun shit. So I am really happy to have a nice Really nice microphone, Um, but we are going to be talking about a, like I said, totally different show this week, and that show is Mobile Police Pat Labor. So, for those of you listening who are big in the giant robot genre, or big into the giant robot genre, but you've maybe you're more recent fans, maybe you've been fans for a while, but not. But but not but certainly, many, there are many anime fans who are fans of 80s anime. But. As a franchise, pat labor is a weird thing because it was this big, awesome production. It's got, it's got basically, people say it has two universes, but it kind of has three because to give you an idea of how big the thing was at some point for pat labor, there are two TV series. There's a TV series that I think ran about two or three seasons. There is a OVA series, which I think is something like thirteen episodes or maybe twenty-six episodes, even. And then there are like a flu of freaking movies. So it, the basic gist of the story is that it follows this: is that in a universe where they have giant robots to perform like massive labor tasks, like putting up scaffolding for buildings, building buildings, and all this other stuff that they call labors, Um, there exists a special division of the police called, I think it's called the Special Vehicle Division, and this one follows Special Vehicle Division Division 2. And they have their own patrol labor that deals with labor-related crimes In Tokyo. And just to give you an idea, this is... And this is the best. This is the best. This takes place in the near future of 1998 to, I think, 2002. (laughs) Um, and so just think, like, not only do we not have giant robots yet, but, like... Giant robots will only make what's happening right now worse, so... Maybe it's better that we don't have giant robots. But that that was their idea of the like near future that did not work out that way. But so the story basically followed the exploits of the of the Tokyo Metropolitan Police Special Vehicles Unit Division Two and they're like escapades ...fighting crime, fighting labor... ...fighting, like, giant... Ro- ...fighting giant robot crime. And... ...you, like, you... ...watching the show, you get a distinct... ...there's a distinct feel to it that is... ...unplace... that kind of unplaceable until you start thinking about Ghosts in Shell and you start realizing that a lot of the, like, mechanical design of the pat labor, a lot of the, like, aesthetics of the show in general has a very Ghosts in Shell vibe, and there's a great reason for that. The, and I only found this out just before recording this because I, as I'm sure you've realized if you've listened to this podcast before, if you haven't, then you're about to learn, then you've already learned. I take the opening and ending of every show I get of every show I talk about, and I put it at the end of the show, at the end of the episode, and at the beginning of the episode. And due to the way I do that, I usually look up, look them up on YouTube first. Uh, and I just kind of got rickrolled into a history of pat labor video that was really interesting. That makes a lot of sense because the production, dude the studio that was formed essentially, to make Pat Labor and all the Pat Labor stuff is a studio called Headgear. And it and Pat Labor is the only thing Headgear ever put out. But among the people associated with Headgear, or in Headgear, was Mamoru Oshi, the director of Ghost in Shell, and um, Kenji Kamiyama, I think, is also known to be associated with, like, the headgear thing. And for those of you who don't know, he directed, actually, the thing that I talked about in the very first episode of this podcast, which is Napping Princess. You can find that, I'm sure, on the feed all the way back. It's called 11.45 Nap Time, I think. Um, but he is also the director of the Ghosts and Shell standalone complex TV thing and so that's where this show gets that kind of cyberpunky feel <laughs> and it, I mean it's a, it's a hard sci-fi police drama with robots I mean at some point you're gonna get to like goats in the shell comparison no matter what you do but I should that so many people involved with one second The Pat Labor, the production of Pat Labor and the studio that was formed to put it out would go on to be involved in or were already involved in, like, Ghost in a Shell in a really meaningful way. But the reason why there is a essentially creative collective of a studio to produce. Pat labor is, for those of you who don't know, licensing for anime is a lot like licensing for music, in that um, it is split up between multiple sources. So, uh, a production committee can own, can own parts of a show, a studio can own parts of a show, blah, 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 blah. But what that means is that, generally, the creators of said show have no ownership claim over the show. Which is a problem for lots of reasons. Um, it's... It's the nature of the beast, it's the way it needs to happen. But, headgear was formed with the idea that the creators of the thing will own the thing. Which is a really cool idea, and... When you look at the people who were part of that studio, you totally understand why that is. I mean, these people were intensely, amazingly creative people. Uh, well, are I don't I don't think any of them are dead, but um, these people are intensely creative people. But their creations are like immediately stripped from them once they're done with them, in the form of like if like. If Kenji Kamiyama wanted to say, like, okay, I want to, you know, start broadcasting Ghost in My my directorial thing, Ghost in Shell Standalone Complex, on the side of a building, he would have to deal with production IG and the Standalone Complex production committee to get the rights to even do that, even though he was the director for the show. And that's a... That is way different than movies, or... Uh, it's a little similar to music. I mean, I don't know if any of you have ever seen... What show was it? If you've ever seen the show Eden of the East, actually, even better. I talked about this with Dimension W. If you ever seen the show Dimension W, if you go and you watch the subtitled version on Funimation you get this incredible opening that really sets the tone of the show, and it... it, That opening is better than the show that follows it. (laughs) A lot like Gangsta. But, um... Which was the last thing we talked about last episode. But... If you watch the dub of that show, the opening's been cut completely. Now... Normally this would be like oh why normally there would be an opening there at all which so that makes it weird to begin with but in addition to that that show was produced by Funimation like Funimation went like got all the shit together and had Dimension W made because it was like this is the kind of stuff anime fans are looking for in America Let's produce it. Let's find the manga, hand pick it, and have it produced for our audience, essentially. They essentially Netflixed the show. But what was weird is it is very clear in the dub of that show, they got the rights for the subtitle track opening, but not the dubbed show to have the opening, which is insane. A similar shows to this, Also, Funimation Joints are the latest are Lupin the Third Part Four has a goofy, stupid opening in place of where it had a really amazing, like, remix of one of the original. I think it had a remix of the Lupin the, the Third Part Two opening. And but they couldn't get the rights for that, so they had to do this weird, stupid orchestral thing that, like, almost fit in a way that makes it worse. And then, in addition to that, the speedgrapher opening, the speedgrapher opening, is all set to the song "Girls on Girls on Film," so the people who did Speedgrapher got the rights to Girls on Film, and they made this amazing opening, and then that had to be ripped out of it entirely because the... because Funimation couldn't get the music rights to that song. That seems normal, but... and this is the last I'll say of this, although, actually, I have two more examples here. The... opening for Eden of the East... ...is an Incubus song. It is a song by a well-known American band. And Incubus, I believe at the time, was with Sony Studios. And so they set everything up and they got Incubus to do this amazing opening song... ...this amazing atmospheric piece for the opening of Eden of the East. But then, and I know this is real, like people reported on this at the time... Funimation could not get the rights for an Incubus song for an American dub of a Japanese cartoon. So they got a, as a fan, and they got this cheery, like, lesser-known J-pop idol, like, idol to sing the opening. And it just doesn't fit. And then, of course, the last thing I will say is they sped the shit up out of that gangster opening, and they need to be shot. Because that, that, it, it's. The gangster opening was used as a trailer for Gangster, and it sold that show to tons of people, and then tons of people were let down by it. And it, like, that, that song and that opening specifically, like, kicked off basically the downfall of Manglobe as a studio. (laughs) And for them to, like, take that something that is so amazing that it could sell a show like Gangsta to basically everybody who saw that trailer and that opening and speed it up just so they can get through it because that's how they could keep the rights for it is fucking criminal. Now, That long diatribe is why a situation like headgear would be beneficial. If they... That way they had full control of their show and they could say, Okay, you want to license this? We have all the license to everything. Let's go and let's do this and let's do it the right way. That way our creation gets in front of people correctly instead of incorrectly. And we... We make the right imp- the impression the show wants to make every time, and that that's a really important thing because it means that not only are the creators controlling their work, but the consumers of that work are experiencing it in the best way possible at all times, short of bootlegs and crap. But. Uh, uh, the video i wa- the video that i got the headgear info from um was saying that pat labor is a forgotten series and they weren't wrong pat labor is of it came out at a time when it when to... many american animates feel when many american anime fans now feel was like a time of like weird dime-a-dozen anime and then, like, it, it came out It's this, like, time of, like, bombastic bizarre crazy 1980s goddamn capital-A anime. And it's, uh, it's... It has those moments. I mean, it's a show about police using giant robots to quell giant robot crime. Um It And it is definitely an anime from the 80s. Our main character is this slightly shorter girl who wears a police vest and has a short, like, almost bowl-cut haircut. It is 1980s as 1980s gets. And you've heard from the opening that it's got a real 80s opening and it's got a real 80s ending. But what's fun about it is that it's got this... It's got this complete vision of what it wants to be. And that comes from the creators knowing that they'll own everything and being able to present it in the right way every time. But it's... Because it's got this complete vision of what it wants to be, it is, like I said at the top of this, a very hard-boiled sci-fi mech show. Sci-fi mech police drama show. The best, the best like, analogy I could draw to a current show, or a fairly current show, is... And by the way, there I saw a number of articles doing research for this, that um, there is going to be another Pat Labor show, which would be amazing, because Pat Labor is real good. Um, it, the best analogy I could draw is this show that came out I wanna say a bunch of seasons ago, maybe four seasons ago, called Active Raid. It was about the um police unit that uses bionic supersuits to fight crime until the supersuit powers run out and then they explode and they're naked. <laughs> um, that was like the that was the punchline to that show. I did not watch very many episodes of that show. But it felt it felt an awful lot like a pat labor kind of scenario. Um, Now this show follows these people, but what's interesting to me, at least, is that there's an OVA series which I think is either. I think it's 13 episodes. Don't quote me on that, but I think it's 13 episodes. It might be more. It actually might be 26, now that I think about it. But it follows the whole cast, including our main female protagonist, whose name I don't remember because I'm an idiot, um, and, like, her love interest and her life and exploits and stuff for that 26 episodes, and it tells a whole contained story. And then there is straight up a TV show like a separate whole separate thing that starts from the beginning again and tells a whole separate and tells a whole arcing like multiple arc story and then there are the movies and now Pat Labor the movie is it's own thing it's like a movie version of Pat Labor but what gets kind of cool and my initial intersection with Pat Labor which is bizarre, is I watched Pat Labor 2, I watched Pat Labor, the the second movie, or Pat Labor the movie 2, I think it's what it's called canonically, and that movie goes from being a hard-boiled cop, like, sci-fi cop giant robot drama to being a, like, Film Noir giant robot monster fight movie. And it is fucking wild. It's really amazing. For, for no other reason than, like... It, you watch the rest of that show and the rest of that thing... And then there's Pat Laver the movie too. And it's just like... It's so weird. In a way that it's so amazing. I, so. Imagine if you're watching a normal police show. And then all of a sudden you're watching a police show about fighting kaiju. All of a sudden. So. This show essentially went from. Being a long time of. The beginning of Pacific Rim 2, where the, um, where the, uh, Jaegers are just giant police robots, to the whole of Pacific Rim 1, when it is revealed that there are giant monsters and we need to figure out how to deal with this shit, it's just, it's really, it's it's incredible. It's inc- it's like an incredible thing to stop and think about being like, holy shit. They just made a giant monster movie because they could. And in that is where you really see the importance of having a collective like headgear to put stuff out and to be proactive about retaining their own their own rights because that means that they're allowed to just make a giant monster movie for no goddamn reason. Because they're like, what if this was this and it would be cool But the and and that is a common problem with lots of production committees, even in Hollywood movies. Hollywood Hollywood executives wield amazing power and they say, Put this person in this movie, put this person in that movie cut that out, cut this out. Um, the w- the way that headgear was formed allowed them to be their own, to have their own creative space to make something, anything they wanted. And they used Pat Labor in the case of Pat L- Labor the movie too to definitely do that. And it's this totally weird like film noir thing. And it's, Goddamn great. Um, but... So, I... But this... This sh- this show and this franchise... The show part of this franchise... Not necessarily the movies, because the movies are their own contained thing. But the show itself does suffer from... The kind of, like, slice-of-life backslidiness of these shows of any show that goes on for a long time. It's, like, once you get over the fact that, like, oh, those are giant robots, and they're doing giant robot things, and awesome, uh, it, it kind of relaxes a little bit. And it's, it's, I've, when I watched a TV show, I watched it a lot of times back, and this was back when I worked a significantly more straight-laced job than I work now, Um, but I watched it in the morning, getting ready for work, because it was just just this kind of relaxing, lackadaisical, episode-by-episode thing. And and yes, there would be, like, cool robot fights at some point, but the robots in this are less, like... They're less like the, like, fantastical robots you see in, like, Gundam or in Zoids. And they're more like, they feel more like appliances because they are more like appliances. They are these, they are basically, they're basically future dump trucks and future power loaders. I, I, that's the best way to, or future backhoes, that's really the best way to put it because most of them are used in, like, a construction capacity or, like, a heavy lifting capacity or something like that. It is exceedingly rare for anybody to have one of these for personal use. In fact, I don't think that there is a person who has one for just shits and giggles. It is not, however, rare to have them malfunction, because, or people, like, sneak onto a construction set and steal labor and get up to some shit because there are bad people in the universe. Um, so... While... So, the show does a really good job of making you realize that while these mach- giant robots are uncommon, it's not like... It's, you see people riding giant robots to school and work. While these things are uncommon, they are an ev every, an everyday object for the main cast that you that you follow. So, like they all, they're all used to working it. They're not just like the does. <clears throat> It's a lot like how a police officer would think of a gun. When they, when a police officer sees their handgun, it is a thing, it, yes, it is this, like, big, bad, dangerous thing, but they are trained to use it, and they are trained to, they're supposed to be trained to use it, America may, America may prove, has proved it wrong multiple times, but they're supposed to be trained to use it so that it's a, Tool for dealing with people committing crimes or with people hurting other people. Now, the way the gun debate goes, that's not exactly a one to one because insane. Um, look, there's been a lot of political news. Like I'm not, I'm not gonna front with, with with you guys right now. There's been a lot of political shit, so it's on my mind. And also, we're talking about a show in which the police have beyond military grade fucking giant robot machinery to patrol normal humans which is insane. Um but it, it they take they take the robot out of being like this fantastical thing pretty quickly and turn it more into like an appliance and the way that they animate the robot In action, it, like, you feel, you identify the robot with the main character the same way you identify, like, specific, specific Gundams with their pilots, only they kind of free up the model of the robot to make more human-like motions. So, in... In, um, something like... Uh... Um, in something like Gundam, they're very, really, like, machine-driven motions. Yes, you get, like, awesome fluid, like, giant robots fighting things, but it's, like, you look at the robot and you feel like it can do that. The the motions in Labour feel a lot more reminiscent of something like the motions out of an Ava, basically. Because they are more expressive and also much like the Ava. It's, the world is not in Gundam. Most of that stuff takes place in space and the stuff that doesn't takes place in the city and there's not a whole lot of, like, super-duper interaction with the city other than shooting it to a pulp sometimes. But in Pat Labor, it's just people's houses. Like, this thing is... This thing is running around the fucking city. It's kind of great. So, there are, like, there's a scene in the opening where, like, the Pat Labor bashes through a bunch of homes. And it's just like, oh! Like, that's... That's real cool looking, but also all the people don't have any place to live anymore, god damn it. And it is a sticking point in this show of just and this is true of other um Mamura Oshi stuff, but um it's a sticking point in the show of just like property damage is the thing they deal with, which is always a great time. Um other shows that other police shows that do that. Um, Dominion New Tank Police is, like, just a show about a girl and her buddy who patrol in a fucking tank and, like, stop crime in a fucking small, like, knock buildings over tank, um, which is really funny. Um, but also shows like, um, Demon City Shinjuku has, like, a really strong, like, you guys are fucking up the city what's wrong with you and they're like we gotta catch criminals yo and this show does a good job of like presenting that but also making like it very clear that like just because they fuck shit up and look cool at the time doesn't mean they actually got the job done lots of times I can think of a couple instances in the show when like they break shit and the person gets away (laughs) So and if I haven't like let on to this, this show is very very funny. It is it it's it has a really good humor to it and it has a really good it has like a, that classic 1980s anime way to express that humor, which is really great. Um but yeah, so Pat Laver is a really unique and interesting thing and it was and it even though it was produced a long time ago the like look and feel of it still feels at for certain parts of it like it's this cool awesome really highly produced thing because the people producing it controlled it completely and, like, I'm sure they had outside money because animation's fucking expensive but they were able to exert complete control over the process so stuff looks goddamn amazing. Um and this is gonna be a little bit of a shorter one because I don't wanna get into the- episode of by episode specifics for this because A it's a lot of episodes and it's a lot of repeating stuff um but B in all honesty this stuff is on High Dive which by the way if you've never um if you've never watched anything on High Dive it's the best anime streaming service that's only on your iPhone (laughs) if that makes any sense um, it, High Dive is what anime, is what the anime network turned into. And currently you can watch it on your iPhone or your iPad, but, or an Apple TV, but since I don't have an Apple TV, I only ever watch stuff on my iPad because iPhones are small, yo. Um, but that means that, like, I, some planning has to go into me Watching stuff on High Dive, which is unfortunate because there's tons of cool shit on there. Um, like Chihiro Furus on there, Pat Labor, all, of pa- all of Pat Labor. I'm pretty sure all of Pat Labor is on there, along with a lot of other cool shit. Um, and it's I think it's like I paid three bucks a month because I got in on it like in the beta. I think it's like five bucks a month, which is ultra cheap in terms of streaming services these days. Um, But, so, it, it's on there, and I I have seen this whole freaking show, just not recently. So, like, I know the overarching everything, but not the, like, real little particulars. But I know from the remembering, like, the particulars I do have, just, like, this show has a great feel, it has a great presence, um, the cast is really lovable and relatable, um, the premise, while totally batshit insane, uh, is done in such a way where it feels grounded, which is hard for a giant robot to do, because usually they're like, we have giant robots now, and also we're in space, and we're dropping a colony on Earth, and blah 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 blah, or um, We've fucked up Earth so hard that we want to turn into a giant fighting ring to figure out who's gonna rule the universe for the next like ten years or some shit. la G Gundam or Mobile Suit Gundam Charge Counter Attack. Um, those aren't the same thing. It's a different thing, but whatever. Um, so it's this. It's this kind of cool, down to Earth. Giant robot show that takes its premise seriously. It's like something like, unlike something like, um, Mega XLR, which while while it's not anime, it, it was so clearly it is so clearly that that it's like it. Mega XLR is like a um, I think ben, ben at the stage is doing something about this. This month, I believe. Which I need to watch the next video that he has up, if he has one up. I think he has one up. But there are certain shows, there are certain American cartoons that are so clearly, like, the brainchild of anime that the only thing that makes them not that is the fact that they are clearly American animated American animation teams or American key key keyframe drawers and Korean animation teams or whatever you want to call it um but a show like MegasexLR presents the idea of like what if giant robots but it takes that so as such a goofy premise and it like and MegasexLR is a great show it takes it as such a goofy premise, and it treats its premise so with such, like, insanity. I mean, there's a scene when, um, Chip, the main character, who, essentially, who is the robot pilot in that thing, gets a boot on his robot in the way that you would get a boot on a car, which is just, like, it's really the best. <laughs> um, and that show has its, certainly has its charm, it's a lot of fun. Best opening show about giant... Best opening about giant robots ever. Um, but... Because it takes this Premise so... Unseriously... It, it, all of this jokes are kind of about that. <laughs> Does that make any sense? Here, the jokes... In Pat Labor, the jokes are less about... It being a giant robot show and more just people doing dumb shit. Like, the police chief yelling at the main character because she, like, busts through a wall, and he's like, Now we're gonna have to pay for that! That's coming out of your paycheck! Um, you're a loose cannon! That kind of shit. And you get to see her react, but also the robot react, in a way like, oh, fuck. I'm gonna have to pay for that side of that building. God damn it. Um it's just, and because it's so grounded and it takes its, it takes its premise seriously and it's but its storytelling can still be fun and kind of goofy in a way that meshes really well. And it's actually a thing that lots of anime does really well that American cartoons have an issue with because they, American cartoons, because of the way they have been, either have to take them, feel like they need to take themselves completely seriously or from a completely goofy standpoint. So, uh, you rarely come, come across shows like Pat Labor that can really competently do it both ways and the viewer is totally invested in both of them. Um, but, well, it looks like this won't be such a short one anymore. But it's... Pat Labor is a great show, not only for that reason. It's, um... Universe feels really fleshed out. You, you learn about the main character and all the side characters along the way in a really natural, not-in-your-face kind of way... From what I remember of the plot, it's not a show that does everybody's least favorite thing to do, which is, this character's about to die. Let's make you like them. It's like, no, if we take you through this whole show in the way that it should be, when something bad happens to a character, you naturally care about it. We don't have to, like, trick your brain into caring about it. We, we we don't have to be the person in the room who argues, well, like, yeah, they got off, but they showed you their whole life. And yeah, they were a bad person, but it turned out they were, like, trained from a child to be a Nazi or some shit. And you're like, I don't care. You tell me that now when they're about to die. You could have told me that, three like, three episodes ago when they were just an asshole, and you'd be like, oh, okay, I kind of get that they're not really a total asshole, but they're an asshole, and now I feel slightly worse that they're dead, but no, you, like, you wasted all that good mojo on just, like, doing it two seconds before they drew their last breath. Um, but yeah, the show has really good storytelling chops, and like I said, the only thing that it suffers from is it suffers from like the long drawn outness of it like it i the way i watched the shows was i jumped from the original OVA i think it is over to the t- the actual tv show and just like that reset into the first into like before all the characters know each other feels really exhausting because you spent so much time with these characters. So already that like put like the show just being like, pretend you know, none of this just is like kind of, kind of abusive. um. But so my, my recommendation if you do want to check out Pat labor, def- you can check out the movies. The second one is gloriously weird. as I mentioned here, but you can also check out, but if you're going to check out the show, I'd say take it slow, or pick one version of the show, of the TV show, like the OVA or the TV show, and watch that. And if you want to watch the whole thing again, maybe, like, take a hard break for a while, and then watch, like, the next chunk. Or the next like edition of the show however you want to put it but um on that note i hope you like this if you want to check out pat labor i'm pretty sure the only place to do that is on high dive but it is all on high dive and like i said high dive is super cheap um and they are not i should be really clear no, High Dive is not sponsoring this episode. I just, like, I realize how that, how this whole thing sounds now, but they are not sponsoring this episode. Um, but they are literally the only place you can find Don't Pat labor. Um, so that's why I'm bringing that up. But if you like this episode, um, feel free to share it with your friends, feel free to tweet it at people, feel free to tell people who I, who I am, what the show is, all that other stuff, um, because I have been Alec, and you have been listening to Lunchbox Radio, and I will talk fucking- to